Today we've got another epic path through Japan. Welcome to the ALT Insider Podcast, dedicated to making you have the most fun possible while living or dreaming about living in Japan. Whether you've been here for years or are just starting to consider it, we've got you covered. And now, your host, broadcasting from somewhere in Japan, James. Yes, it is James, ALT Insider. Dot com ALT Insider Podcast here, episode number 089, coming at you today. Thanks for stopping by. Only two shows left in 2000, what year is it? 2016. So, this will be the last interview of the year, and luckily for you, and me I guess, it is a doozy of a good one. It is a very epic tale of Chris, uh, someone that started with Jet, moved on to Dispatch Company, got his PhD, moved on to researching games and now he's an international high school teacher so he has a really truly interesting and interesting way I was going to say wavy that's not the way a curved path through Japan I think there's a lot of stuff you can learn from him how he went about following what he wanted to do and he really is still doing that you know so that is something to learn from for sure uh, site news there is the Christmas game contest is now over the winners have been announced you go to the site I'm sure you'll see it on the front page ltinsider.com you will see it there next week is the epic of epic year in review uh, post so there'll be the on Monday there'll be the post of year in review of the site side of things you know best most visited most visited posts most least visited posts all that kind of stuff and on Friday will be the year in review of the podcast so most listened to podcast reviews stuff like that that is a fun one that I'm putting together right now so stay tuned for that next Friday which would be the 30th of the year December 30th 2016 if you're listening to this in real time so stay tuned for that um, if you want to go to the show notes page because there's a lot of cool stuff Chris mentions here and so if you ever check out a show notes page I do recommend checking out this one it will be at altinsider.com forward slash podcast 91 and if nothing else Chris did a uh, presentation at PAX East and the website and the, the link is in on that show notes page so check that out if you if you're interested in gaming kind of stuff because it is pretty cool um, so without further ado let's get the interview with Chris and his winding path through Japan, his epically winding path through Japan. Enjoy. All right, guys, today I have a very special guest. His name is Chris, and he's doing some cool things in Japan. He has a long uh, history in Japan, long timing Japan, I should say. So how are you doing today, Chris? Uh, hi, how's it going? I'm good. Nice to have you on here today. So let's start with the uh, kind of end point here. So what do you currently do in Japan? Okay, uh, I currently teach at uh, Nagoya International uh, Junior and Senior High School as the uh, IB, well, that's International Baccalaureate uh, Curriculum, uh, English Literature and Language Instructor, as well as the Extended Essay Coordinator. Wow, okay. So, uh, in short, that basically means I handle two things, uh, literature classes uh, conducted in English and... um, uh, research essay uh, class, I guess you could call it. Um, so uh, these are high school level kids who are doing uh, an international level curriculum uh, that is found all over the world. Uh, but the schools that offer it have to be certified in uh, international baccalaureate or IB for short. Yeah, this is really a high level school, way much different than a public school, you could say, right? Uh, yeah, it's um, the, some of the stuff uh, because, especially because their final exams are externally graded. Uh, that's that's one of the big scary things too. So we can only prep them so far. We know what point do we have to bring these students up to uh, in terms of level, and that's pretty daunting in and of itself. So, like, for example, with the literature stuff, the kids that I'm teaching now, 
Uh, they are, they're working on stuff that I probably did in my senior year of high school or freshman year of college. So it's almost like an AP class. Okay. So yeah, that's the, I want to get definitely get into that later, but let's like start a little bit farther back in your history. So let's go back to what in the first place got you interested in coming to Japan? Um, strangely enough, I, I've always been interested in Japan for some reason. Um, I've never been able to pinpoint one thing. It's just that every time I found out more and more about this country of Japan, I just kind of, it just kept spiraling out of control from there. So like when I was a kid, uh, a really little kid, my dad would read me, uh, stories, you know, before bedtime, like most kids, um, except we had like a kid's almanac for some reason. <laughs> and, um, and then, you know, Asia was in there. And so I first learned about Japan then. And then when I was about five years old, they started to, uh, air, um, Utsu Senkan Yamato, uh, which it was called Star Blazers in the, in the States. And uh, and then not not long after that, they started to air Robotech, which was basically uh, for those who know that's like Macross and a bunch of other animes like you know smashed together. And I er- immediately knew that this wasn't you know this is these cartoons are very different from the stuff that we had. They're serialized, mm-hmm. uh, episodic. In fact, in Robotech, then there was like a death in in the in the series. And I think I was only six years old at the time, so. Um, I was pretty enthralled by the series, and I knew that it was not from the states. So, was, you know, just asked my parents, "Where is this from?" They said Japan. So, I just get more and more interested in that. I think I think a lot of people who come to Japan, their gateway drug to Japan was like you know pop culture, subculture, anime, something like that. Yeah, everyone has that kind of thing. For me, it was games. So, yeah, everyone has some kind of hook there. Oh yeah, games is just kind of inflated at all. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna push you over the edge. So then you kind of you know you, you let's say did you do anything special in college to make to find a way to Japan, or did you just kind of worry about it after college? It was interesting because I, I kind of knew I always wanted to come to Japan in some major working capacity ever since, like, I think I was, like, 12. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, because I met some uh, exchange students from Japan at that time, and, and they were really cool. And I just thought, oh, I better go visit, you know, where they're from. And so in high school, I went to a private high school that had pretty set curriculums and stuff. And so I told them that I wanted to learn Japanese, and they were like, no, we've decided you're going to learn Latin instead. And then I... <laughs> I had a meeting with them. I said, look, I, I kind of want to work in Japan. And they were like, oh, you're going to learn Latin instead. So I learned Latin in <laughs> high school. and <laughs> Great. <clears throat> yeah, so I finally got my hands on Jap- Japanese in, in college, uh, sophomore year of college. So I studied Japanese for two and a half years and got a pretty decent you know, backing in grammar. This was at University of Hawaii. And then, um, and then I came here in 2003, uh, six months after I graduated on the JET program. Okay, so you got in the JET program. So I don't want to stay too long in the JET program. But give me some one point of advice for someone that wants to apply to get on the JET program. Um, you're going to have to, in the, at least for the essay portion, you're really going to need to come across lucid, logical, and they need to understand that you're not going to culturally freak out once you get here. You can't be... You cannot put yourself out there as someone who's too stubborn or set in their ways, obviously. I think this is a very sort of like um, obvious pointer. It's very like – but I, I feel like I should say it because I've, I've gone through a lot of candidate essays and they sort of are like, you know, I, I do this thing. I, I think this one way and I kind of want to express that and show – make them think that way too. And it's like, ah, uh, you're not going to get to the interview, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then in the interview too, you want to make sure that they see that you're a mentally flexible person who's going to, yeah, basically not freak out once you get here and then and panic and want to come come back, right? Yeah, definitely. I always say like if you have international experience, you should definitely mention it in your in your, in your your essay. Somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, if uh, So let's quickly again so you know you get paid the jet program i assume it was a, a positive experience for you absolutely okay. um i was 
Very lucky, yeah. Okay, so the, the jet experience is great. So you you stay in Japan after the jet experience. So how did you make that transition from jet to something else? Um, at the time, the jet program was maximum of three-year term. So when t- my three years was up in 2006, uh, I found employment with Interact uh, in the nearby uh, Osaka area. So I was originally in Hyogo. Uh, by uh, kind of between Akashi and Kakogawa, for those who know that where that is, and uh, but well, Himeji Castle basically, and then um, it just coincidentally, right when I was applying for Interact, they said that they were also setting up a contract with the elementary schools in the same town I was in, so I could have just, I just, I didn't have to move very far. I just moved a couple blocks, and then uh, yeah, so I did another three years on Interact, teaching at the inter, uh, at the elementary schools. I was originally a high school teacher. Okay, so it's a big change, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was it was humongously big. <laughs> Which one did you think was better for you? A weird personality. Uh, they're both they're both they both catered to to me in a certain ways. So for example, you know, at the high school, you can be a bit more cerebral. Those kids are a little bit closer to adulthood. You can kind of see the kinds of cool people they might become in the future, um, and then you can sort of help them get there a little bit more. Uh, I guess directly verbally, whereas with the little kids, uh, they have that same quality where you can see, you know, they're doing good things and you you kind of help try to help them become the good people that they want to be. But it's much more physically taxing. <laughs> yeah. I, de- I developed a kind of spider sense, uh, usually teaching 40 kids at a time at the elementary. And if you notice, you'll just mentally subconsciously count. If one's missing, someone's behind you ready to strike. <laughs> yeah, ready with their hands clasped yeah, together. Yeah. With Basically. the fingers in that famous pose, ready to stick it somewhere. So, anyways, that is correct. That is, and you know, I learned I had to develop that the hard way, but it's. Yeah. I think I should start a course, you know, training course. Uh, anyway, so you know, you, you go through. So, it's jumping from jet to interact, a lot of people mm-hmm. say, you know, dispatch companies are the devil. Dispatch companies suck. Whatever. What 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 did you? What was your experience like? Was it a big jump? Was it a big step down in 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 conditions for you or? Uh, yeah, naturally, because uh, in general, it's really hard to land the job that pays decently, especially with respect to jet program. Now, I have to put it out there that jet play- pays the flat rate across the nation. So if you're a Tokyo jet, you're not going to be living very well. Well, I was in the uh, countryside, so I was able to save a bit on that that rate. And of course, Interact does pay factually lower than that. And they also don't provide things like paid holidays or... Um, full uh health insurance coverage so that kind of sucked but i like i said when i got onto jet i was lucky in that my placement in that town for three years was a very good one we all got along really well with the board of education the other teachers so i was already known in my town uh as a reliable uh foreign english teacher so that definitely helped out and and basically every time my my go-between for interact came by all they would say was like oh yeah he's doing a good job you know don't don't make him leave okay so, <laughs> yeah so i mean i pretty much they shielded me from interact and but at the same time my my go-between manager for interact was also really really cool so i've been very fortunate on jet and interact to just be paired off with really good people now obviously yeah the part that sucks is that mm, you're not going to get paid very much for it, but I was there in principle more more for the principle than you know uh, principle as in like the ideals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not the uh, not the cultural sensei, but <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so then you know so that's you you already made yourself known in the, in the schools, and they kind of knew they wanted to keep you interact was they wanted to keep you too because you know a, a ALT that doesn't cause problems is an ALT that every dispatch company wants more of. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. So you get, you finish your interact. You said you did interact for three years. So, kind of walk us through what's your next step after that. What made you make the change? Um, I I always knew I wanted to go back to graduate school 
for either the master's or the PhD. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with that, but I also didn't know what I wanted to study because uh, I had gotten my degree in English literature and I was satisfied with that. And I didn't really want to continue doing master's or PhD in in, uh, in English literature. I didn't just I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I was toying with the idea of studying interactive narrative in games because games as a as an interactive well as a narrative medium have sort of evolved to the point now where um, there are some pretty convoluted and uh, meaningful storylines that can be had mm-hmm. in them. And it's neat to think of that you can actually, as a player, influence the outcome of the story uh, in, in a variety of ways. And I just thought to myself, who's who's been researching that? I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so I, I ran the idea by some of my other uh, senpais out here who are very sort of intelligent friends that I've had over the years who stayed, who started, like me, started on Jet Program and kind of stayed on in various capacities. Um, and they were all really highly encouraging of the idea of trying to uh, put a research proposal out there to study narrative in games. I didn't really know what schools did that, but I kind of just, I was in a period of stagnation in my third year of Interact. Yeah. And, you know, because once you've made all your lesson plans, you're kind of just recycling what you did last mm-hmm. year and making small vari- variations. And I started to get very existential. Yeah, I did. It for me, happened to me too. I got burnt out for sure. Yeah. So I just said, you know what, let's just jump off the pier and learn how to swim. That was a mistake. So I returned back to the States. <laughs> um and just said, you know what, I'll take it easy. Let me, you know, take a couple months off and then look for a grad school in America. Of course, graduate school in America is just like an arm and a leg. So yeah, um, I was back in, I, I'm from Hawaii. So I was back in Hawaii for like two years living at my parents' house. Um, just trying to, I took a bunch of odd jobs. I was delivering pizza for a while. I did, uh, I was, I got a bus driving job. So it was like I was driving a tour bus in in Hawaii uh, that was only run through Kintetsu and Jalpak tours. So I was speaking Japanese every day, giving a tour and driving a bus. That's good. You keep your Japanese going. Yeah, that was a really big deal to me because I was losing it every single day with no opportunities to use it. Um, and so that job, while it sucked, it was still like okay, you're you're still keeping your Japanese in some way. And then I was always volunteering at the consulate in Honolulu, the Japanese consulate. So they said, hey, Chris, there's this Monbuku Gaku show, the next uh, graduate school scholarship. Uh, why don't you try out for that? And so I wrote up the proposal for studying interactive narrative in, in, in games. I didn't call it games, mind you. I said interactive digital um, software. Probably a good call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just called every, sing- every time I said that. It was like interactive digital software. And uh, that's, you know, so I put that in there. I explained it. I got to the interview phase and then and I, and I, I landed it. However, that was, I think it was six months after I got the, the scholarship was when uh, the March 11th uh, earthquake and the Fukushima disaster happened. Uh, okay. And so I didn't hear from the consulate for about another six months after that. So I just thought, well, okay, you gave my scholarship money to help fix Japan. Great. You know, like that's that's more important than just sending this guy off to study games. Yeah. Um, but they got back to me and they were like, oh, OK, yeah, it's been delayed because of various things, but you're still going. Uh, but under the condition that we choose where you do your research. And I said, sure, anywhere, as long as I get to study in Japan. And uh, what, for those who don't know, the next scholarship is a full ride. So they'll pay for the entire tuition. They'll give you a stipend that's about... Uh, current exchange rates, I would say that's about a thousand three hundred dollars a month, and that is generally enough to live in most places. If you live in Tokyo or Osaka proper, you'll get a little bit more. Yeah, so that's pretty pretty sweet deal for sure. Yeah, it was it was yeah. good, and I often forgot that towards the end because all I did was lament the fact that I'm writing this thesis. But anyway, <laughs> so where did you end up going? 
Uh, they one day I got an email and it was from the Nada Institute of Science and Technology, and I was I was immediately happy, but the very next second I was like basically crapping myself because I said. <laughs> Your humanities, Chris. What is this? Is science and engineering? And then they showed me the name of my professor, who is going to be Professor Suguru Yamaguchi of the Internet Engineering Laboratory. I looked him up, and the guy's got his his own wiki. Okay, oh, yeah, he used to work for like the Japanese. He used to work for Koizumi under Koizumi, like as like the cyber like czar. Okay, so he's a good person to be there. Yeah, he's the guy who brought the internet to Japan in the nineties. Wow. Um, yeah, he had already made full professor by the time he was like in his early 40s, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, so he's like a super genius. And and then but then I looked at all the stuff he was working on, you know, uh, preventative uh, methods for DDoS attacks. And I was like, what is that? I don't, <laughs> like, does this guy even know what I'm doing? Do I know what he's doing? And I was like, I think there's been some kind of mistake. And I emailed them back and I was like, that's great. But I'm like really just humanities. All I do is stories like Shakespeare's my my jam. Um, I don't really know how to do anything technical. And they were like, oh, well, you know, we've had humanities people come through here before. You'll be fine. And I was like, I don't know if that's reassuring. Um, but anyway, uh, I did. So at the Momba Show, they'll give you this the option at the beginning to take six months of intensive language Japanese training. And so, of course, I took that one because yeah. uh, you'll be doing a lot of academic work in Japanese. And academic Japanese is a whole other language than regular Japanese. So Yeah, for sure. And that was good. Uh, that was a very good experience. So if, if you have anyone's thinking about doing the MEX scholarship, I highly encourage you to try. Um, I ended up getting the six months of language training uh, along with five years of grad school for free. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I and mean, is it very? Is it pretty competitive? I mean, it seemed like it would be. Uh, yeah, it was pretty competitive. Like I didn't because I was gunning for T- University of Tokyo originally, like everybody else is. And when I didn't get into that for the Mombu show, I told this consulate that I would just try again next year and which is stupid but you know and the consulate told me in so many words it was stupid (laughs) they were like no 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 only two people got in this year and i was like oh (laughs) yeah like two two people from the state of hawaii that that is and and yeah there's and they said maybe next year there might not be as many slots open and i was like oh better do anywhere yeah (laughs) yeah yeah so that's uh it's highly competitive but you should still try Uh, oh yeah that's that's a good advice so you get uh you finish let's say you've you successfully complete your five years. I'm not sure if it was success. I guess it was successful. Uh, yeah, yeah, I did. So I, I did it in, and not a sent. Oh, sorry. For short, they call the school two names. Uh, in English, it's NAIST, N-A-I-S-T, the abbreviation of Nara Institute in Science and Technology. In Japanese, they call it Nara Sentan okay. because the entire name is Nara Sentan Kagaku Gijutsu Daigaku in Daigaku, <laughs> and it's it's pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. But um. The the school allows you to go to master's, and if you opt to continue and make that into part of the requirements for your PhD, you can do that. So basically, you can step up to master's, and if you feel like you're, you know, you want to take it to the next level, you can. Like for example, some universities ask you to do, you know, to decide on just master's or just the PhD track, you know. Um, because originally I wanted to just get my master's and see if I could work at like Square Enix or Namco Bandai or something. Yeah. Um, but the more I got into the research, the more I realized that the field is really lacking in researchers. So I wanted to try and, uh, stick with the field. Also, when I learned about working conditions in Japanese game companies, I kind of got scared. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's notoriously very bad. Uh. Yeah. There's that. And like, I went to a Setsumekai, which is an orientation for Namco Bandai one time because they came to our school to recruit and, uh, they, you know, they did their presentation and they said, any questions? And I raised my hand. And I said, I got two questions. Number one, like, you know, what, what's the level of the Japanese, uh, language proficiency test you need to work at your, 
your place? And I asked that in Japanese, and they both looked at each other and they said, "Well, if you can ask the ask that the way you asked it, we're not gonna we're not gonna demand that you have a test score for that." <laughs> okay. and I said, "Oh, okay, great." And I said, "And the I was like, next question: um, Are you guys hiring for the people who write?" who actually write the stories in the games. And then they both looked at each other like they didn't know, like I blue screened them or something. Uh, okay. Apparently the stories come, you know, only from Sem- Dai Senpai pretty much. Like they come from Miyajima, they come from Sakamoto, they come from Kojima uh, and they go top down. So, I mean, if you're kind of a new guy with a new story idea, it's really hard to get that through and they don't hire just story people. You know? Yeah. You got to work your way up. Yeah. That sucks. Pretty so- much. You have to. Yeah. So basically that's another reason I stuck with uh, research and decided to do PhD. Now we're, I don't know how, six, seven years total time in Japan right at this point, 10 years. Maybe? Uh, say that was six minus. Okay. So six, <laughs> two, three. Yeah. Well, like uh, I finished the masters in 2014. So I was like about nine years in. Okay. So now we're almost to, almost to the present. Yeah. Almost to the present. Uh, so after that, what did you do with your, you know, new education? Well, okay, so I finished. I finished the. Ma- I was getting to the end of the master's. You know, the my professor was talking to me, and he was saying, "Hey, look, Chris, why don't you stay on for the PhD?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'm in agreement because blah blah blah, like I just told you." And uh, right when I finished my master's, uh, 2014 was a very good year for me. Um, uh, I ended up. The first thing I did was I, I we got accepted to talk at PAX East Boston, uh, 2014. And uh, the, the panel that I did was called uh, Mythology in and of Games, Why the Legend of Zelda is Just imp- as Important as Legend of Beowulf. It was kind of a mouthful for a title, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we, got cool, the, huh? yeah, we got the slot. It was like the last day, last time slot, and we were thinking, oh, there's only going to be like seven people in here. And then uh, so we get to the venue early, and there's this huge line lining up. And like there's several conference rooms, right? So I'm not paying it much attention. I'm just trying to chill out. Then my co-panelist Thomas May, who's also a games research researcher, he was a researcher up at uh, Michigan State University. He he comes up to me and he goes, "Hey, uh, this line's for us." And I was like, "Nah, that can't be right." And he goes, "No, no, no. They're all lining up for this room." I was like, "Whatever." So I, I <laughs> you know I just go to the front of the line, and sure enough, everybody's kind of starting right at that where the sign that has our panel name on it, and I. I just kind of go up to somebody in the front. I was like, hey, man, um, this looks pretty neat. What is this for? And he goes, oh, this is <laughs> this is the mythology panel. I've been waiting all weekend for this. And I was like, oh, that's great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so I kind of went back and I said, so I'll see you guys later. And they were like, no, 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 get back here. And, you know, so I was kind of freaking out. That sounds pretty cool. So that was for your school, right? Uh, yeah, that was actually for the research and everything. So, uh, and, well, the thing is, PAX East is not an academic conference. It's a, of course, it's a fan convention. So yeah, yeah. I had to really convince my professors that, look, the advocacy part of doing the research is is more important than most other fields because, for example, we don't have to convince other people that computer science exists. Like yeah. We have to go out there and convince people that, yeah, we're studying narrative in games, like actually doing it. So that was kind of um, how I was able to fund that. And then through that, that panel turned out really, really nicely. So if, I, I'll, I'll provide you with a link later if anyone's interested in checking it out. Yeah, um, yeah there was a part where I kind of like I had rehearsed the thing a lot. And I was a part of talked about how Legend of Zelda Link to the Past got me through bullying as a kid. And then I was talking about it on stage. And I think it just all hit me kind of like if you ever saw the movie Pacific Rim, it was like I just got caught in the drift. I got stuck in the memory. Uh-oh, so tears started falling. Well, I started like choking up, and then like Thomas, he was like, "Oh man, he gonna cry." <laughs> and then like, and then like uh, somebody in the audience raised their Nintendo DS in the air, and it had a giant Triforce on it. 
and then they said the the song from the the game like do 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 and then like everybody laughed at it and i laughed too and it kind of got me through you know i didn't like start busting out crying or anything um but it got me through the rest of the thing that's a cool moment yeah yeah that that panel was full of cool moments and that really kick-started my my sort of like phds i I don't even want to call it public career because generally speaking most phd students are not really in the limelight you're not supposed to be getting like out there you're supposed to be getting out there professionally to sort of like trade business cards and network so that you can set your job up um whereas i was kind of just trying to get out there just for the sake of getting out there and showing people that you know we're researching games it's going to be a positive thing especially because right around that time was the gamergate oh yeah where everybody was um there was the huge controversy about sexism in games and stuff and and so that kicked that off, and then I did an Indiegogo campaign to crowdfund my research trip to Michigan State University for the Meaningful Play Conference. And then uh, my co- my paper on emergent narrative in indie games got like top paper over there, which was uh, a huge boost. And I think because that happened, uh, my professor said, "Okay, well, after you do like a few more conference papers, then you can start working on your thesis," which basically meant early graduation. Oh, sweet! And yeah, that that worked out pretty good. The only problem is, is that okay? Now that you've gotten this far, we're up to the present. What university department hires people who've studied interactive narrative? Nobody, because I come from the future and I'm way ahead of the curve, and like nobody has money for that. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you know, the English department, people who typically studied narrative, the English literature department, they don't want to touch this because games have a stigma to them. Yeah. Uh, computer science wants to touch it, but they don't want to get into the subjectivity of what humanity studies brings. Okay, so like. That's what, that's what, that was my next question. Like, what is the goal with, re- with your research? Like, if you know, if you let's say you know your research continues, continues, what do you hope to learn, and what do you hope to do with that information? What can someone do with that information? Uh, the two general things I I sort of like say is that the first thing is obviously these findings recycle back into game development. You want to become more aware of the way that this medium behaves when we incorporate narrative into it and the ways that we can new ways that we can sort of get meaning out of stories in in the game sense and so that hopefully whatever we learn in terms of those things can be made aware of and then maybe we can come up with some new tricks and tools to use for game development in terms of making narrative Mm -hmm. games um excuse me the other thing would be to grow the field itself because um Right now, the field is so... It, actually, it, factually, it's not young because people have been studying narratives since the late 90s, apparently, in games. But it's still... It's just taking forever to get off the ground. Like, we don't even have, like, video game uh, studies scholarships or awards or... We have a few conferences, you know. Um, a lot of departments are picking up on game studies, but it's mostly for just training game development skills, uh, like programming, which I, I'm not saying those are not important, but... It's it's good to know how to how to work with something practically to create those things, especially if you're working in the medium. Like, I mean, you know, Martin Scorsese, for example, he's a narrative genius when it comes to film uh, or Stanley Kubrick. But uh, they have to know two things. They have to know how to make the games and they have to understand, like, have to have a vision behind that, an aesthetic vision behind that, and know how those two things are going to work together. Right now, I think a lot of universities are sort of gearing towards the practical creation side of it and they don't really have as much to do with sort of like design thinking so and now it's safe to say that so you couldn't continue in the field as you were hoping but you're still trying to you know fight that fight to get into that field yeah definitely so yeah the when i graduated and this is a lot of timing for any job really in japan 
the university who's doing the most work in terms of game studies, uh, the field is called game studies. A lot of people call it game theory, but game theory is mathematics. Um, game studies is uh, Ritsumeikan University in uh, Kyoto. And their Eizou Gakubu, or their visual arts department, has a sub-department called the Ritsumeikan Center for Game Studies, RCGS, and they do a lot of interesting stuff. In fact, the inventor of the original Famicom, or NES, he's a professor there, Professor Uemura. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've met him a couple times. He's he's kind of getting up there, so uh, it's it's weird. Sometimes students will just show up at random and just, like, you know, <laughs> ask to take a picture with him. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I, you know, I used to go to because Nara was very close to Kyoto. I would go there maybe like once every two or three months just to you know see what's going on, go go to the research meetings there. Um, but I, I tried my best to get in with them, and I, I am to a certain degree in with them, but there's still no jobs yeah, okay. to be had. So you know, but I, w- what I do now is I teach literature, and that kind of made sense to me for two reasons. One, when I was unemployed, I just asked myself, hey, when was the last time you were actually happy when you were a teacher? And number two. Teaching literature is still teaching narrative to a sense, so that you know that's that's like a homecoming for me a little bit. Yeah. So do you kind of do you see yourself doing the same job in five years? Or are you still trying to keep your keep the feelers out there? Because what I've heard is I, how I, I found uh, how I found you for the interview was from guest post writer uh, Craig, and he said that you know you kind of are the guy to go to, the guy that knows everybody, the guy that kind of has a oh, huge, really? yeah. He said he said he <laughs> talked a big he talked talked a big game about you. So oh, wow. So thanks, Craig. It sounds like you know. You are the kind of person that's a big. You market yourself well, not market yourself, but you have a big network. Kind of, you network yourself well. Is that safe to say? Or I would say, sure. Um, I have to just say yes because I can't quantifiably deny it. My students pointed that out to me the other day. They were like, "You have nine hundred friends on Facebook," and I was like, "I do." <laughs> and I was, "Oh, yeah, I do." Uh, so yeah, so yeah, it seems like you know you have you don't had a lot of experiences. Obviously, you have a lot of it. You know, you have a lot of cool stuff. So, what would you what would your advice be to someone? Let's say like is on Jet Program right now that, you know, wants to do something else in Japan, but they, you know, aren't quite sure of the path. Is it just get more education or is there anything more to it than that? Ooh, that's a good question. Okay, the first thing that popped in my head when you asked that was you're going to have to really get better at your language skills. And unfortunately for Japanese, that means quite a lot of kanji. It means making sure that you understand the dimensions of communicating with different strata, uh, different statuses of people. So the hard part, I mean, a lot of you guys are already aware, I'm sure, that like in Japanese, there are like there's like a X, Y, Z uh, dimensions of talking to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're either talking to someone on your level and that's a way of speaking and talking up to someone and then talking down to someone. <laughs> yeah. And you have to so you have to learn all those different kinds of languages. If you're trying to get into an academic field, it's very important to learn academic Japanese, which is like a whole other language. Um, and I'm not even kidding. Like, so, for example, like. In Japanese, we're used to saying things like chigao for like different, but then in academic writing, you have to use a word that is never spoken aloud called kotonatteru. <laughs> yeah, so, and that basically yeah. means like chigao, right? And it's like, what? Yeah, every field has, like, fields have this kind of, especially in academics, I'm sure it's deeper than other fields, but, you know, every field has their stuff, the kind of way things you only say in that field. You don't even, you know, right, it's yeah. crazy, but. So it's, it's good advice, though, for sure. It's weird because I, when I was learning academic Japanese at Osaka University, um, Thank you, Muroka Sensei. She was like super hard, but like we learned quite a lot. I learned that the way that you're supposed to write your term papers, if you ever read that out loud, you sound worse than Lieutenant Commander Data from Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> because like no one ever reads this aloud. Like in English, if you write a good term paper, you could 
read it like a speech and it would make it would sound great uh-huh. in Japanese you just can't do that so the first advice I have is if you're on the jet program and you want to stay and you want to change jobs if you want to transition out of education of course the first thing is know what you want to go into and the second thing is be around that thing so try to become friends with the people who work in that field the best thing that you can do is no communication you have to go to izakayas with the folks that work at the place that you're trying to get into why because they're going to do a cattle call to hire people and and it's hard to stand out as a foreigner unless you've got really good skills in that field and good language skills so there's only one field i've seen that they'll surpass like they'll just overlook language skills if if you have the the job skills and that's basically it yeah like in it if you can code they're really not that concerned if you if you don't have like perfect Japanese, but in a lot of other fields, you're going to need to have a very high degree of Japanese. Now, another way to soften or sorry, ease your way into those jobs is no communication, like I said. So for those who don't know, that's like nomu is the verb for drink and then communication is communication. So you smash those two words together, it becomes no communication because what you do is you go to the bar with those people, become friends with those people, genuine friends, not just like fake friends to get into the job, you know, just hang out. And the thing is when you drink, you get... You start to lose your. Uh, you don't. You're not embarrassed to make mistakes in the target language anymore. Yeah, that, and that's a huge and, thing. Yeah, and it's great. That's how I made all of my friends at when I was working at all the schools that I've worked at, and and I've always ever since then I've always been sort of like the liaison between like the English staff or the native the the foreign staff and the Japanese because uh, like even at the grad school I was sort of like the manager of the foreign students in like you know the laboratory or something like if there's ever a problem because Japanese people will never directly confront you about a problem they'll go to like whoever's in charge uh, and yeah. you know oh by the way so and so is always like you know taking his shoes off and stinking the place up can you talk to him about that yeah okay I can <laughs> and so I was always the guy who's collecting complaints about the foreigners and trying to like you know mediate and stuff and that was a combination of having certain language skills and certain rapport and certain human skills like if you're just shite with humans then you know it's gonna i wouldn't say do no communication it's gonna mess you up <laughs> so yeah i think the but the key point is if you want to stand out especially if you want to be taken seriously in the field you want to go in you know having the, as much japanese as you can and going above just having oh he can speak he can speak fine in izakaya that, that's that's everyone anyone can not anyone but most people can do that get to that level right yeah but take it to the next level where you're you know writing business papers, writing professional emails, that's the level that you can really stand out from other foreigners that are trying to get jobs, you know? You're going to have to, yeah, exactly. You're going to have to sort of do some homework about the type of job that you want, what field does it exist in, uh, understand the skills that they're looking for. Also, if you can, try to read the market. Like, for example, maybe, maybe it's not a good time to enter you know, real estate, for example, like we had the crash back in 2008, back in the States, right? Mm. It's like, oh yeah, this is definitely not a time to enter like real estate. You know, you're going to, you're going to be sticking your foot into a a bigger poverty zone. It's also important to note your age. Age matters a lot in Japan. So for example, you'll be competing. Like if, for example, with me, I finished jet program when I was about 26. So for me, I was competing against people who are either 18 or or not 18, 22 or 24 who had just graduated from either college or graduate school. And those people tend to look better in the cattle call process than people who are older. Because in Japan, you, you've you you've taken a, one of three trains in society for your life. You've either taken like, I've done all school and now I'm ready to work or well, actually, that's it, kind of. So, like, <laughs> yeah. if if you if you finished if you graduated from college and then you had like a gap of two years where they didn't know what you were doing, like even if you were like uh, volunteering abroad, that could count against you. Yeah, 
And some, yeah, the, and that's, yeah, some people say like something like, what, do you think something like the JET program counts against you or just kind of is a blank two years? Um, not, no, the JET program doesn't count against you in certain, in most senses. Uh, the only sense it counts against you is if like, for example, you're like, like I did, I was applying for university jobs and I did actually factually have six years of like curriculum planning and teaching experience, but it was just the wrong age. Oh, okay. And like, you know, I never had any experience teaching in university. That's also not true. Um, I was also, you know, I was helping out with my professors with their classes and everything like that. And so the the CV, getting past the CV parts are the really hard part. Now, you can sort of mitigate that a little bit if you already know some people at the company. Like, they can vouch for you as a person to be like, no, I know this guy. Get him in an interview. So, for example, like, I know a guy who, oh, I don't know him personally, but there's a American guy who's spent a long time researching his or fixing his Japanese language up to the point where he could write reviews about Metal Gear, and then one day he met Kojima, and Kojima said, "Oh yeah, fast track him for the interview to get into Ko- uh, to Konami." There you go. Yeah, that's pretty- yeah. So now he and then he ended up working on Metal Gear Four. So it's like he reached his dream. Yeah, pretty just, much. And he, just because of who he knew. Yeah, pretty much that and and the language. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's the, <laughs> and it's hard work. Let's not throw that away. It's kind of it's like a mission. It really is a mission. You're gonna have to do a little bit of intel before you um, you know initiate the campaign. Yeah. So to speak. Yeah, I think that's that's a good advice. I want to uh, hit on you know what you do now because we we teased it a little bit at the beginning. So what's kind of a typical day like for you at your current current job as a teacher there? Um, let's see. Well, for example, on Monday I have a you know I have two solid class blocks in the beginning just with the literature class. So uh, I should reiterate that like our school has two different curriculums. The one one of them is the normal standard curriculum, which you can find at most like Japanese public and private schools around the nation. And then the second one is much smaller and it's very select and it costs extra tuition. It's called the IB or International Baccalaureate Program. And that is something our school had to actually get certified to start to be able to administer. And what happens is for people who get IB diplomas that could actually work in their favor for certain international universities, number one. Number two, the diploma and the tests are administered and given out externally. So the final exams don't come from us, we the teachers. We just get the students up to a certain level of performance, and then they get tested outside. So, so. is that good or bad for you, for you, the teacher? I think it might. It's, for some ways, it's good. Some ways, it's bad. Oh yeah, it, you hit it right on the head. It's a little bit of both. On the one hand, it's neat to challenge the students and get them. It, it's exciting to for me, somebody who went to the maximum amount of schooling to the PhD to be able to bring this back to the students and be like, all right, look, I'm going to challenge your socks off. Like, seriously, like you need to do this, but you're going to, you're all going to be badasses afterwards. Trust me, <laughs> yeah. you know? And then of course, you know, they're, they're only like 17 years old, so they don't, they can't conceive of how to write like a 20 page paper, which is kind of what they need to do at the end of uh, their senior year. Yeah. That's, um, <laughs> that's, you should make that your, uh, your uh, classes tagline though. I'll make you a badass. Oh, yeah, no, I, I do. Like, I mean, it's, it, Mark Twain said, like, something like profanity provides more solace than prayer occasionally. <laughs> and, like, uh, with the, the language, or the, sorry, the language, the, the class that I teach is actually called language and literature. So we're supposed to be looking very specifically about how language influences meaning uh, in literature. So uh, sometimes there there has to be some swearing. And, like, you know, to for the kids, it's great because, like, when we're talking about uh, I was trying to talk about how to write an essay and to to display the significance of your topic, which is always a big deal. And they were not; they just weren't getting it. And then they were like, "We don't understand what this this concept of significance means." And I had to just like boil it down. It's like you have to essentially answer the the answer the answer the question: Why does anyone give a crap? <laughs> like, you, why should it? Why should the person reading this give a crap about what you're writing about? And so that kind of like, oh, they they got it. So the the deal with those students is that the reason they're able to 
to conduct this class in in English is because a lot of those kids are returnees. Um, I live in Nagoya, so that's you know the home of Toyota Motors. So a lot of those kids have been living in Michigan, uh, you know the the American office for Toyota because their parent because of their parents' work, and then they come back. Oh, okay. So they spent most of their childhoods abroad. So they they're all you know native English speakers, and they they also speak native Japanese and and um, like I got a kid who just got back from Australia for for 16 years so she speaks Japanese because she grew up with it she speaks English because she grew up with it but she just can't really read Japanese okay that's got to be a challenge yeah 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 well the especially challenging too is finding out how much of an age gap you have with the kids now so for example like we were talking about how do you know if reality is reality and I said you guys have all seen the matrix right and they're like looking at me like what is that <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we had that. I, had, I Just on Friday, I was we were I was trying to define the word anecdote because they, they couldn't get their heads around what that was. So I said, uh, Forrest Gump is a movie that is composed of anecdotes. And and then uh, they all looked at me like and they were like, what what forest? And I was like, <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> all right. So one, one last question about your teaching now. So do you have to obviously the tests are external so you kind of you have to teach to that test right so like you don't yeah exactly but you have is it all 100% up to you what how you do how you go about doing that yes um, there are for example we'll know the teachers of this this curriculum will actually know what the test questions were from prior years so based on that we as sort of the masters of our subjects can figure out what we need to train the students up to be able to do in order to pass that test so um, to give you a concrete example, like they might be given, uh, for example, they have to do a comparison between two different um, written works. So they might get an ad for a Volkswagen and then they might also get like uh, a blog entry about uh, somebody's test drive with a Volkswagen. And they have to sort of analyze those two things in terms of how language is uh, applied in the context and, and the mood and who who this was written for. Uh, and what it's trying to get across. Now, uh, now that I know that that's the question, I can basically say, okay, well, they're going to have to n- know how to analyze a wide variety of written works, not just you know books uh, okay. or plays. Okay, and so I can I can do a little bit, bit of planning on that. And the way that I do that is is my own. So like you know when we were doing 1984 just recently, so I had them try to invent new words uh, and try to get them to go viral on their Facebooks. Oh, wow. To see if we could insert new words into the lexicon. They didn't know what lexicon was either. They thought that was like a Decepticon. <laughs> it sounds like a Transformer a little bit. Yeah, yeah it sounds like a Transformer. So, <laughs> All right. So final question is, you know, I like to say, it seems like it seems like you enjoy your job. So was it something you recommend someone look into? Is that something that's some fun, let's say, the simplest form? Is it fun for you or do you still looking for that elusive job in gaming still? That's a good question. Well, okay, to, to be honest, I actually do teach uh, part-time on Saturdays, I teach a distance lecture uh, of, of for game level design for University of Hawaii. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, but I, the, the my of course my primary job is this uh, literature class, and it's getting a little bit too busy. So unfortunately, I won't be able to resume that next term. But that's a good question. Like, which of those do I want to do if I had the choice? Mm. Um, of course, I would love to do both. Yeah, <laughs> like, like if I could. Um, mostly, and this is mostly a personal reason, like the, the students that I have now for literature, I at least want to see them through to graduation because they're a good group. And when, as a teacher, you have to treasure those, those rare moments where you do happen upon a very good group because those are rare. Um, most of the time when you're a teacher, uh, you'll be encountering sort of like classes that have 
all different kinds of dynamics together. And, and uh, I got lucky this one time. There's a group of really talented students, and they're all in the same class. I want to make sure that they graduate. So I'll, I'll definitely stick around for that. And I also enjoy teaching literature anyway. But uh, the goal is obviously with a PhD, you don't want to stay at the high school level. Um, I will note, though, that this school has pretty competitive pay for the area. Um, Nagoya is not cheap, but I can, you know, I can live here for that. So that's that's a pretty like if you're looking to stay in English education in Japan, I would definitely recommend looking at what private schools are offering. Mm -hmm. Also, see if you can do some research on the school informally on the Internet before you you know sign on, because like sometimes uh, people who have like if the school, for example, has a high turnover rate, you might actually find people like complaining about that school online. Uh, okay, you know, yeah. people who have worked there or something. So for those of you who want to get out of jet but stay in education and still have a competitive pay, I would say look at trying to apply to universities or private schools. There you go. And yeah, public schools are hard because, you know, they sort of go through those dispatch companies or jet. So, you know. Yeah. But I will say I did enjoy my time working for the public school system of Hyogo Prefecture. So. All right. So, yeah, I think we learned a lot of stuff today. I mean, I think you've had a, real, a real cool uh path in japan and you know you see you seem to know you know your way around how to do stuff so it's uh yeah it's been a long ride i would say like i'm on my 12th year in japan now and no no plans to cut this is your this is your home now correct or are there any plans to go back to hawaii one day uh well i'm actually mentally flexible about that because i mean depending on what happens in the world we've had a lot happen recently in the yeah. world <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, that's true. so i mean like uh you know me for example like you know with certain things changing politically i might want to stay in one country as opposed to another for a while or whatever it's because of president got elected or something you know right exactly because i mean i'm a minority uh that's a big deal uh yeah hopefully hopefully you can go back <laughs> yeah stuff like that well, also i'm from hawaii it's ridiculously expensive there so i i just don't have any economic business being there so there's that uh, yeah that, yeah i've heard of, uh, I don't know, that's a different that's a different podcast i'll get you yeah, on again yeah. we talk about hawaii economics okay. I guess. <laughs> sounds good all right chris uh you have a good you know keep keep doing what you're doing because you know it seems like you have a lot of cool stuff and, uh, you know, you enjoyed your time. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me on, James. I appreciate it. And Chris, is there anywhere you want people to check you out on the internet if they want to check out more from uh, you? Yeah, you can contact me at chris-yap, Y-A-P is in paul.com. Uh, that's my main website. And uh, I think, yeah, that's it. If, or if you want to Twitter me, is that how you, I don't even know if that's the right verb. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I am smart underscore bad, I believe. And I'll, yeah, and I'll send you the links and stuff. So. <laughs> All right, Chris, worries. you have a good one, and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks. Take it easy. Thanks for listening to the ALT Insider Podcast. For more info on how you can have more fun working in Japan, visit ALTinsider.com. See you next time.